Hi, I'm Sumit Bose. Welcome to the Net Hero podcast. Remember, we're online, we're video and audio. You can download us, you can watch us on the Energy Live News YouTube channel, and of course, subscribe to the podcast with whatever podcast service you listen to. We want you to be involved in the podcast every week, so make sure that you get in touch. If you've got something you think should be talked about, you're doing something in net zero or ESG or sustainability, or you just think you've got a tale that others would be inspired by, then drop me a line, nethero at futurenetzero.com, and make sure that you listen in regularly. Without you as the audience and also our guests, the podcast is nothing. Now, on to this week's episode. Hi, welcome to this week's episode of the Net Hero podcast. I'm Sumit, and of course, we want you to keep subscribing. Make sure you get notified if you're watching us on video. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, all of that malarkey. Now, one of the things that we've always been keen on is finding different ways for us to use less. And that's one of the mantras behind Future Net Zero. It's kind of better business, better planet. And resourcing is a major issue. One of the things we've got to do as consumers is to use less. Now, is that something that we should be doing or is that something that businesses should be providing us? One of the biggest things that comes across this is waste refuse, garbage, whatever you want to call it. We produce billions of tons of it across the planet and every country is looking at what it's doing around waste. And one of the biggest problems that we've got is we're producing far too much of it. That's down to consumerism. But not just that, very little of it is being actually recycled. Now we're pretty good here in the UK. The average stat is around about kind of, you know, get to your local dump, they'll probably say 70, 75% of stuff is being recycled. But that's not the case all around the world. And it's certainly not the case that we're doing everything fantastically here. There are big issues about what things can be recycled. Should recycling become mandatory? Are there ways of making sure that when you and I go to the dump or the tip, we actually sort things out first so that it can be done better. Well, one company in America, American-based, but it's an international company, is looking at all of this and using AI to make the sorting of this sort of crap, this garbage, much better. So can it help reduce the amount of stuff that goes to landfill? And can it help us get to the point where actually the whole recycling process is much more efficient? Well, the company is called Amp Robotics, and I'm joined by Carling Spellhug from that company. Carling, hello, how are you? I'm great, Simit. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, and welcome to the Net Hero podcast, and thank you for getting up so early. I know it's quite early in uh, America today. Um, tell us what Amp Robotics does, uh, sort of just to paint a picture for the viewers and listeners of what sort of robotics company you are. Certainly. So at Amp Robotics, we are using computer vision and deep learning to automate the sorting process um, of mixed material streams. So um, for those of you who may not be so familiar with recycling, you know, typically we put everything in a bin yep. and it's uh, sent to what's called the materials recovery facility or a MRF within the industry. And um, everything there needs to be sorted out into separate commodities uh, so that it can be sent to end markets where people want to buy it to make it into new materials. And the way that that industry has historically run has been on manual labor. So um, it's a dull, dirty, dangerous task and one that um, is very ripe for automation. And this is basically, you know, as we do it, you know, I did the tip just the other day. We try and do it. There's a big 
hopper that says plastics and there's a big hopper, but other things going in, bin liners and all Certainly. that. So at present, would you say most of the stuff is still overall across the planet, probably hand sifted? I think probably still a lot of it is um, manually sorted, even at facilities where, you know, we have systems installed, there are still, you know, some um, human, um, human, there's still some human intervention in the process. But I think the goal is to, you know, help with this technology, help um, push humans into roles that maybe are a little more higher skilled and, um, you know, they could be focused on things like maintenance of the product, um, uh, equipment operators, uh, truck drivers, forklift drivers, that kind of thing within the facility. The goal is not to get rid of humans entirely, but just to help these facilities <laughs> run. I'm glad AI is not killing us off, Colin. That's very <laughs> good. <laughs> now, generally, the Americans are pretty smug about things, but I think we can be a bit smug. <laughs> You're very poor at recycling, aren't you, in the U.S.? Yeah, it's it's been it's a pretty um, it's a pretty dismal recycling rate of just about thirty two percent, according to the EPA. That's what it's hovered at for the last couple of years. You know, we do have an ambitious goal of reaching um, a twenty by twenty fifty getting or sorry by twenty thirty getting to a fifty percent recycling rate. So there's a lot of work to be done in the next seven or so years, and we think technology is chipping away with it, but um, it's it's still quite a hill to climb. Before we talk about what you're doing, which I do think is very interesting, why is it so poor? Is it, is it just the culture? Is it just because there's not been enough legislation to, to get it? I mean, so for the average, you know, American, you know, do they have in this, in our country here, we have, you know, a green bin for recycling, a blue for plastics, black for, for general food waste. Mm -hmm. Do you have that system there? Or is it just kind of everyone just chucks everything in the trash? I, I think there's a lot of factors, but I think access is an, is an issue. Uh, I don't know the specific factors offhand, but you think of cities, it's much mm. more common to have, uh, you know, collection. If you live in a house in some apartment buildings, but not if you live in a multi, multi-resident and multi-family residence, it's not mandated to have, you know, recycling pickup everywhere right. and the cost is high. And so it's not something that, you know, a lot of these tenants or these landlords are going to be willing to um, to subsidize for residents if it's not required. So I think access um, even in cities can be difficult. But then you think of rural areas in America where if there is recycling collection, it has to be trucked back to a city or somewhere that has a recovery facility where the material can be sorted. And the economics just don't really pencil out on that. So where's all this waste going? Landfill? landfill it's being incinerated uh, unfortunately we see it ending up in you know marine environments too um you know i think the issue is landfill landfilling is a good business and but the other side of that is that we're not making more landfills so landfill space is becoming increasingly scarce um i mentioned at the outset that there um was just a story about hawaii not accepting any recyclable material in their landfill because they are running out of space um, in the coming years. So I think we're going to see more and more of that, especially in densely populated areas where land is not abundant, and we're going to have to find other ways of sustainably managing that material. I mean, you can't obviously brand a nation as, as such, but why do you think, is there a culture in America where they don't think that much about the trash and the garbage, or or is, is that changing? Because I'll be honest, probably 25 years ago, I wouldn't have thought anything. But things have changed a lot over here and across Europe. And people are much more aware of kind of, you know, let's try and sift our plastics and let's put this away and less use, less food waste and sift things. Is that just not something that's that's commonplace in the US at present? I think culture is, like you say, is a huge factor. And I yeah. think it varies wildly from place to place if we're of just course. looking at America, I'm sure for the world in general. But, you know, you mentioned 
European nations, certain European nations where the, um, the behavior is more ingrained to sort materials. I think when you grow up doing that and that's ingrained in you, you it's something that sticks with you when it's not something that you do. And um, recycling can be very confusing. You know, there's so many different types yeah. of plastic. How do I, you know, sometimes they're accepted in, in one um, community or jurisdiction and other places they're not. So very much can depend on where you're located. Um, about what can be recycled. And um, I think it's admittedly a very confusing process for consumers, even if they are motivated to, to do the right thing. So it, I think with technology, we're also trying to push to a point where, you know, we can, the consumer behavior maybe doesn't matter so much as long as the material's getting into- Yeah, I understand. Getting into the system. So you're trying to bypass that side of it. Yeah, okay. So instead of the human sorting at source, you're saying there's a way around this to sort when you get to the depots. Well, contamination is always a challenge, but with um, artificial intelligence, we're, you're able to digitize every item that's coming across the conveyor belt. So think of the learning curve for a manual sorter that has to stand above the belt and quickly and accurately recognize and pick each material. You know, a, a system that is automated doesn't real, doesn't have to, the, the effort is very minimal to, to pick the correct material, ignore the material that is a contaminant. Contamination is still a challenge, but I think with this type of technology, we're minimizing kind of that, that part of the process. You remind me of uh, Wally and that little robot Mo that says. <laughs> we've, heard that, we've heard that comparison before, yes. <laughs> I like it. Let's explain this. In idiot terms, and I am an idiot, basically, it's a sort of smart camera that looks at the stuff that's coming on the refuse or the garbage conveyor belt and it identifies that's plastic or that's a bit of wood or that can be recycled or that's food and and what it learns that is that what you've created is it a camera or, or is it kind of an actual robot that you know people might think of a robot that makes cars they've seen what, what is it Right. So we've built up this database. It's the largest known database of recyclable materials for machine learning. And so every installation, every AMP installation has access to this database. And like you said, it's a camera right. that, that is it's a, it's a, it's part of a modular system that sits above the conveyor belt. So the camera is very similar to just, you know, it's a standard kind of iPhone camera, not much more sophisticated than that. <laughs> right. And it uh, takes a picture, digitally digitizes every item that's moving past on the conveyor belt. And then it's able to infer in real time what's a contaminant and what's a recyclable or a commodity um, in these sortation environments and then guide a robotic arm to pick and place it to put it in the correct bin. Flipping out, how fast does this arm go? That's what I want to know. <laughs> That's all yeah, um, we typically say it's about 80 picks a minute, um, wow. but depending on you know, the application, things like the how deep the material is on the belt or you know, where in the system it's located, whether it's, you know, early in the process, or maybe it's on a quality control line where the material's already been pretty cleaned up, it can get up to 120 picks per minute. And that's compared with a human who kind of best case scenario is about 40 to 50, maybe 60 picks per minute, but it's much harder to sustain that pace. 60 over picks per minute, one a second. I don't think I'd be anywhere near. <laughs> you said at the beginning just there, you, you've got a kind of database. So how did you teach this thing what it is? Did you say, right, did someone go and go, right, this is polystyrene, this is metal, yeah. this is wood? Is, is that what's yeah. gone on in a sort of simplistic way? But that's, do you see what I'm trying to get yeah. to? How, how, how so, the hell does it learn? Sure. So at a, at a high level, yes, it is literally pictures of trash, things that you find in the garbage or the recycling bin. But what's unique is that think about 
you know, when you throw material in the bin and it gets picked up by a truck and it gets, you know, compressed yeah. and it's yeah. commingled with other materials. So that by the time it gets to the recycling facility, it can be- It might be a square or something. Yeah, exactly. Smashed, yeah. folded, yeah. ripped, dirty. And in order to be effective, of course, this, um, this AI has to be able to recognize the material in all those different permutations. And so that's um, essentially what we've built up, you know, since AMP has been in existence. But uh, in every and every time that you know we put a new robot in, it is able to access this material knowledge that's already been built up over time. So a new installation kind of has that material knowledge, so to speak, um, already available to it. And so that's kind of the benefit of being in these real world environments versus a lab or you know yeah. an R and D type of capacity. Yeah. And what are the things? Can you give us the sort of names of the sort of things that it can identify? Can it, for example, dif differentiate between? you know, one kind of plastic and another, or does it just say all plastics? And, you know, will it tell the difference between steel and copper and, you know, lead? Yeah, yes to all of those things you mentioned. Um, I mean, plastics is a good example just because it's... Uh, well, there's you so know, many different kinds. Plastics yeah. gets a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the attention around, you know, poor recycling habits. So, you know, the system could tell the difference between a Coke bottle and a Pepsi bottle the same way that a human could based on its visual properties. Wow. So it's not actually reading logos or labels, it, but it is in a sense because, you know, you'll see a Coke label is red and a Pepsi is blue. So it can distinguish based on features like that. And in terms of kind of, does it have, I don't know, infrared or something like that so you can see things? Or is it, as you said, it's just it's just doing it visually. So it's just using the normal visual spectrum and that's it. Correct. Yep. And so I don't know if I fully answered your last question, pa pa uh, paper, plastics, metals, and then, you know, many subcategories within, I think we're about 50 categories within the single stream realm, but then we do also have some installations in construction and demolition um, materials and then um, e-waste or e-scrap as well. It all sounds very interesting. How effective is it? So, you know, let's give a simple thing. So uh, uh, a conveyor walk, belt walks past and goes past and there's 100 tons of rubbish on it. How much of that 100 tons can it sort? And what is its efficiency? I say, let's give you an example. Say it's there's 50 bits of plastic. Will it spot 50? Will it spot 10 or 12 or whatever? Well, it's going to identify everything that's on the belt as long as right. it's something that categorize that so you've you know, taught it basically maybe, maybe it won't categorize a dirty diaper or a bowling ball or it might right. put it in a miscellaneous category yeah. but you know it should be able to recognize everything that's on the belt it's it comes down to what the customer has decided to to pick so you okay. can, can target say they can say we want to target number one plastic or pet first and then as a secondary target uh ubcs or uh, aluminum beverage cans um, so it's it's very it's up to the customer to decide what they want to pick or recover, um, knowing that because of this database of material that exists, they can you know quickly switch targets on the fly, depending on you know maybe commodity prices change and oh, I see. HDPE has risen in value and they want to to pick that instead of some other material. So it's intended to be very flexible in that way. And so this this system, does it involve you going to a sorting place and you just retrofitting this thing? Or do they have to be built? So you actually have to build a sorting place with all this technology in it. Our systems are divine, designed to be a retrofit solution. So most of the time they can go in over a weekend, maybe wow. when the facility isn't running so that they, they don't have to worry about this costly downtime uh, that other, you know, technology installations can sometimes uh, to cost the business. 
So yes, typically over a weekend with minimal interruption or disruption to the operation of the facility. Does it work? <laughs> it it does. <laughs> I think I think the fact that we have over three hundred systems around the world, um, it, I think I think about sixty percent repeat customers speaks for itself. And you've done a calculation, and obviously I won't hold the, the exact figures, but you you think you've avoided quite a lot of material going to to landfill and creating emissions. Yeah, so we haven't, uh, we don't measure um, specifically the amount of uh, material that's been diverted from landfill, but certainly we know that with higher recycling rates, um, you know, we're increasing yeah. landfill diversion, but we have quantified um, a little bit of the climate impact of the technology. And so since inception, um, the technology has helped save about 1.7 million metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions, which is roughly equivalent to removing about 360,000 cars from the road. And that's mainly emissions from things like the plastics being burned or... Mining for raw materials, mining for raw materials uh, yeah. transportation costs, yes, um, emissions from landfills, that kind of thing. A lot of people have big problems with the whole kind of waste industry. And, you know, there are lots of stories of kind of, we've had it here in the UK where you think you're sending it all to be recycled and then it gets put on a barge and just buried somewhere in another generally developing part of the world. How much do you think what you're doing and, and how much is this showing that, you know, the waste industry can, dare I say, clean up its own act, avoiding the pun? And also, second part of that question is, is this a technology that is really just sort of kind of first world nations because a lot of the problems we know about the Pacific garbage patch, you know, look, you know, look at Thailand, you look at sub, sub-Saharan Africa, you look at loads of places, there isn't that much of a waste structure anyway, and so much goes into the environment that these sort of solutions would help. So those two things of how kind of you think this can actually help clean up the reputation of, of the waste industry and be whether it's really just something for, for for more developed, richer nations? Yeah, that's a good question. I do think technology like this is making a difference in addressing the challenges that recycling has faced. I know that recycling, well, I think we can all acknowledge it's probably gotten a bad rap. Yeah. And headlines that kind of cite lack of progress or, you know, your plastics aren't really re- getting recycled. Correct. I don't know who that's serving because... I don't think anyone has said that the that you know we're there. We've solved the problems, but I think we're we're chipping away with it and chipping away at it. And I don't see that throwing up our hands and you know acting as though there's nothing we can do would be a, a more helpful solution. Um, we've talked a lot um, in this conversation about you know what can be done to modernize uh, existing recycling facilities. But one other part of our business is using artificial intelligence t- to design new facilities to expand recycling infrastructure. Um, with AI from the ground up. So these are facilities that would have minimal human intervention can run pretty much autonomously. And while, um, you know, it's still very early days and we are still in the developed world, I think we do see potential for kind of that part of the business to help address some of the infrastructure gaps in developing nations or places that don't have the the traditional recycling infrastructure or something to build from. So I think we're pretty, pretty ambitious about, um, you know, where we see this technology going. Um, it's only been a few years and, you know, we've already seen AI and automation make a big difference, um, mostly here in North America, a little bit in Europe and other parts of the developing world. But I think the potential is really massive. Some of them, you know, obviously, look, no one wants uh, more crap on the planet. So we're all for this. Um, and, it, you know, it does bring me back to Wally. I just love that movie. About, <laughs> you know, he, he's, he's the poster boy for everything. But 
there are a lot of people employed in the waste industry, as you said. Um, and a lot of people, this is a, a lot of concerns about AI is that it takes people's jobs away, you know, even probably my job in the future. But, you know, where do you see that? Because that is another thing that is a very difficult balance because you can say, oh, look, we can bring this in and it picks up, you know, 150, whatever per, per bit, per minute. And, you know, you don't need a person. It's all fully automated. That can be a bit of a difficult sell for the yeah. workforces, for the people, who the industry to think, hang on a second, you know, are we doing ourselves out of actual work here? Uh, I think we're we're quite confident in saying that our technology has never displaced a human. If anything, you know, these facilities simply can't find enough labor to to run full shifts. And when the the difference that this technology has made is that you know, maybe they've been able to run a second shift, which you know obviously increases their throughput. You know what they're recovering, what they're um, not sending to landfill, and it's you know allowed. Uh, the humans that do, or the the people that work at these facilities, to to uh, you know be shifted to different types of roles, um, maybe that um, are more focused on technical skills, maintenance, um, other critical roles that automation, at least today, you know, can't replace. And so we're kind of letting the robots handle the you know the real dirty part of of the process. You know, there can be hypodermic needles. Yeah. Um, yeah. There can be there can be sharps. They're just very you know dangerous. Mm. And, hazards and safety issues for humans. So it's really not a job humans ought to be doing in the first place. You're trialing this, as you said, you've, you've got facilities out there using it already. And I know it's only been a couple of years. What are the things that you hope you can start to teach this kind of robot to spot in the future? You know, because one of the biggest issues, I think you very briefly mentioned it, is the amount of IT waste. And that's full of things like rare earth metals, you know, mobile phones. This one here, it's got full of stuff that when I, you know, hopefully I give it to someone to recycle, but God knows where it goes. But, you know, somewhere down the line, it comes to one of those facilities you're talking about. Is this the sort of stuff? Because the big issue is consumerism. And we're still making far too much. And we're still buying loads of crap, all of us. And then we end up having to get rid of it. What do you hope? the AI will start to be able to, to do to help us to affect, as you said, particularly in, in your country, that 30, 30 odd percent and get it much higher. So the one really unique thing about AI is the specificity of identification that it enables. So we've talked to kind of about broad categories, like yeah. number one, plastics, number two, plastics. Yeah. But, um, you know, when you can get down to, you know, the brand level of identification or, you know, very specific, like just orange colored HDPE. For instance, that's what um, certain producers and brands want back. They've made these recycled content commitments to use um, recycled material in their packaging. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's something consumers are demanding. That's something that I think we're seeing, you know, move more toward, um, you know, a policy mandate for these companies. So when you can ensure that they're getting back this high quality material to make their new packaging, um, I think we're seeing growth in recycling uh, that's being driven by that specificity that AI enables. So I think that's one. And I think we're also um, hopeful about uh, the potential of AI to sort dirtier and dirtier feedstocks. So we've talked a lot about making sure, you know, humans put their recyclables in the right bin, but think about all the recyclable materials that end up in the garbage. Yeah. Um, you know, because they don't get into the recycling bin. I mean, there's a vast amount of Huge value. Huge amount. Absolutely. In that. So if we can sort sort feedstocks like that, dirtier and dirtier material, but extract the recyclables, I think there's a huge potential to move the needle on 
um, landfill diversion, recycling rates, and more. Well, I, I like it. I'm still scared, but hey, Wally was good. <laughs> he was he learned, so he's good. So if he's if that's the future that you're your little what's by the way, has it got a name, your little robot thing? Uh, we don't have one name, but oh, okay. many, many customers have named their own robots. So um, there, there are some fun ones out there. I hope, I hope there is a Wally out there. That'll be, that'll be great. <laughs> I don't uh, know. I'll have to double check. You'll have to check. Uh, listen, Carling, thanks for joining us on the Net Hero podcast. Best of luck with it. I think it is a great idea because these sort of things where we take, I mean, obviously, we've got to change our behavior, but things that hopefully get around our, our stupidity and, and can help. Uh, reduce the amount of damage into the planet are all good things. So thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Simit. No problems. Thank you for watching and listening. So if you'd like to be on the Net Hero podcast, drop me a line. Remember to subscribe, uh, click the bell on YouTube for notifications, all of that garbage, you know the score. But the Net Hero podcast, part of what we produce at futurenetzero.com. If you're interested in all things Net Zero, check onto that. I'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.